Grace and peace. These are God's gifts to you in Jesus, our Savior. And they are very important for us as we begin this challenging series, this difficult reality of what it means to be a Christian. Dear Christians, today we're kicking off a, a new series for the church season of Lent. Right? Lent is a six-week journey that, that builds and builds and builds, and it ultimately leads to the whole purpose for Jesus coming, his suffering, his death, and his triumphant victory on Easter. And Lent is this season, this time for Christians as, as we journey with Jesus to, to be reflective, to be somber and and sober-minded about the, the tremendously high cost of our sin, about the incredible depth of love of our Savior, and to bring us, to lead us to repent, right? To, to bring our sins to Jesus for forgiveness. And the second part of repentance that sometimes we don't think about or want to do as much, and that's to, to turn away from them, to fight against temptation. Because when it comes to sin, Jesus is serious, right? He, he never paints sin as anything less than, than dangerous and deadly. And that's why he wants us to be vigilant, to be disciplined, and to be passionate about fighting against and avoiding sin. Not just those sins. You know the ones, right? The ones that you see all too clearly in your neighbor, in your friend, in your family. Not just the ones that you think are, are worse than others. Not just the ones that, that maybe you don't struggle with as much. No, Jesus wants you to be vigilant and disciplined and passionate about your sin, about the, the sins that, that you struggle with, the sins that, that plague your heart and your life, the sins that, that threaten to suck you in over and over and over again, the sins that probably far too often we aren't as concerned about as we really ought to be certainly as Jesus wants us to be. And, and the reason that we're not really so concerned about so, those sins, because we kind of like them. They're easy. It's far more comfortable. And so we, we go along with them. We're okay with it. And, and the whole reason... The whole reason that, that, we, that we indulge in them, that we are okay with them, that we're comfortable even with them, well, it's because of me. Not me personally, you, right? Each of us individually. It's because of our self, 
right? That's what the Bible calls it. And it's not surprising. I mean, we live in a world that tells us what's well, all about self, right? Self-actualization, self-realization, self-preservation, self-esteem, self-indulgence, self, 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 self. That's kind of okay with us, right? I mean, that, that, that tastes pretty good. It's really easy to get on board with that because well, at our core, every single one of us is self-centered. It's all about me. It's about how I feel and what I want and my own truth. I'm the center of my own world, and this is how I want it. I like it. And I'm really tempted to keep it. While we might be tempted to think that this is some kind of new fad that like, came into existence with social media and, you know, selfies, it's not. This has been around. If you were born in the 70s, you're part of the, the me generation, right? And, and we could go on and on through generations and eras all the way back to the very first two people because that's where it all started. The devil came and tempted them. And do you know what his temptation was? It wasn't disobey God. His temptation, that's ultimately what it was, but his temptation was live for yourself. Just take the fruit and then you'll be like God. Ooh, yeah, that's what we like, isn't it? That's what we want. We want the world to revolve around us. And ever since those first two people, that's the way it's been. Right? Read through the Old Testament. It's filled with examples of God's people, believers, who, who walk away, turn aside, step away from God's promises, God's design, God's commands. And there's some well-known examples. David, you've probably heard of. You probably know the story of, of his lust for Bathsheba, which led to his adultery with Bathsheba, which led to his murder of Bathsheba's husband to cover it up. All because that's what he wanted. But there's all kinds of other examples that are maybe lesser known. Examples like the guy named Achan, where if you blink in the middle of the book of, of Joshua, you'll miss him. It comes right on the heels of this amazing account of God's power and his, uh, and his grace for his people. The, the battle of Jericho, right? The, the massively fortified city that there's no way the, the people are going to ever break through those walls. And God said, march around the walls and the walls will come tumbling down. And because this is completely 100% God's victory, God is doing everything to deliver them into your hands. You are to take nothing from the city. No gold, no silver, no jewels, no finery, nothing. Leave it. But Achan didn't. And he took some. And he hid it. And nobody knew. Except God. And the next battle they went out to fight, his countrymen were slaughtered. All because of Achan's selfishness. And throughout history and on and on, right up until you and me today, that's the way it's been. 
It's all about me. And in a world that's so focused on self, on, on living for myself and, and enjoying and embracing the moment and just YOLO, do what you want. It's important that we have this series because if, if you or I think that the world is just about me, that, that life is just all about self, we're in danger. Some real serious danger. And that's why during this season of Lent, we're going to take a, a, take a really close look at some things that are probably going to make us pretty uncomfortable as God exposes some of those things that we hold near and dear in ourself for us, for me, that makes life good for me and I'm totally comfortable with. And God's going to expose them and show us the danger of them. To do that, we're going to take a study through the book of Mark. And, and just to give you a little glimpse of what the book is about, the gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four gospels. I, I sometimes jokingly call it the Twitter version, right? It's, it's like the short, sweet bursts. Um, and they're filled with action, right? It doesn't have the, the longer genealogy and Old Testament quotes and, and pictures like Matthew. And it doesn't have the, the lengthier, detailed descriptions like Luke. And it doesn't have the big sections of teaching like John. It has bursts of action, often encompassing miracles. And where we pick up in, in chapter 8 is actually almost exactly in the center of the entire book. And the way Mark records it, it's a shift in Jesus' teaching, in Jesus' focus for ministry. It's not that there are no miracles, that there is no action moving forward, but Jesus is preparing his disciples for what he had come to do. He's preparing them for his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And so this, this is all built up to um, Jesus repeating again and again his mission and his purpose and his resolve. Because Jesus very much wanted his disciples then and his followers now to know why he came, to know what his purpose was. And he also wants you, as a result, to have a bigger purpose in life than just living for the moment, than just living for me. So let's listen as Jesus picks up at, in Mark chapter 8, Beginning at verse 31, Jesus begins verse 31, He, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Jesus knew his mission, right? He knew his purpose. He knew why he had come. And now he is his pointing his disciples to it. He wanted them to understand this wasn't a get-to. Right? A lot of times we as Christians talk about the things we get to do that sometimes we think, oh, that's, we have to. And Jesus says, you get to. This wasn't a get-to. This was a got-to. This was a have-to. This had to happen. And Jesus was restating the purpose he had left heaven that he had been born it was to suffer to die and to be raised again on the third day and he spoke plainly about it 
right? There were no parables. There were no illustrations or stories. He was up front. He was honest. He was maybe even brutally clear. And did you notice he, he said, this wasn't a, a choice. This is what had to happen. Did you, did you catch it? Two times in there he says he must suffer and he must die and rise again. Jesus knew this was going to happen. It had to happen. Which is what our first takeaway is today. That Jesus knew that his purpose was the death of him. That idea, though, wasn't so popular, right? Look at Peter's reaction, picking up at the beginning of verse 32 again. He, Jesus, spoke plainly about this, his suffering, death, and resurrection. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's probably not surprising that Peter's the guy that speaks up, right? That pulls Jesus aside. I mean, Peter was often quick to speak, quick to act. And it really, it isn't surprising if we think about it, what Peter said. I mean, if you had a friend that came to you and said, I'm going to die and I'm going to go out and it's going to be awful and painful and this is going to be terrible. Wouldn't you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Let's stop talking like that. That's not okay. Don't go down that road. Right? You think life is so terrible right now. Let's, let's look at this. Let's see if there's an, another way out. Let's see if we can avoid all of that. That's what Peter was doing. And, and it came naturally to him. Because our hearts, our human sinful hearts, think that life should be glorious and prosperous. That we should avoid pain at all costs. See, we're really good at self preservation. It's an inborn desire. And that's what Peter was doing. He was telling Jesus, let's stop talking about this, this kind of suffering and death stuff. Life is better than that. It shouldn't be surprising, though, that Jesus rebuked Peter, right? And it really shouldn't be surprising, not just what he said, but, but who Jesus recognized was behind Peter's words. Jesus saw, right? It's Satan, the tempter, the devil. He was behind that temptation back in the Garden of Eden, right? Just eat of this and you'll be like God. The whole world will revolve around you. And here, he's behind Peter's words as well. Hiding in the background, lurking, trying to to shift Jesus' focus off of his mission and his purpose and onto self fulfillment and self-indulgence and self-preservation. And that's why he rebuked Peter. That's why he, he called him out. And, and the words of verse 33 are, are really important words for us to see in the big picture, not just of this message and this text, but really leading forward. They're kind of the springboard for everything that comes after this, including through the rest of our series. Because look what Jesus says. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter's problem 
was the thing he was focused on, the thing he was concerned about more. He was concerned about the wrong things. And Jesus called him out for it. Because he wasn't concerned with what God had to say. He was concerned with self, with life, with ease and comfort and longevity. What about you? Are you concerned with human things or with God things? Where's your heart? Where's that desire coming from, right? Is it God-focused or me-focused? What are the the things that that pull at you, that tug at your heart, that, that you long for? Who's the the focus? Who's the the audience behind it? Who are you living for? Is it to bring glory to God or glory to you? Is it to obey God or to just make life easier, better, more comfortable? Because Jesus saw very clearly who was behind this temptation, right? Right? Someone who was trying to stop him from where he had just made very clear he had to go. Someone who was trying to get him to to look for another way, to find any other avenue, because there wasn't one. Someone who wanted Jesus to try to find an easy way out. Jesus understood that in order to accomplish his mission of rescuing humankind, He had to die. As Christians, this is not much new, right? And we've heard this before. We know that Jesus' purpose and his mission, we know why he came. Even the kids at the children's message, they get it, right? What did Jesus do? He died for my sins. But Jesus doesn't stop there. This is not the end of the conversation. He continues it as a springboard because Jesus wanted us to understand that It wasn't just Jesus that had to die. It's you and me, too. Take a look at what he says in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, just... It's helpful to understand before this, that message of Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection, that was kind of an internal messaging for Jesus' disciples, right? He had had spent time with them, training them, teaching them, explaining to them, and they were, in theory at least, equipped to handle that message. The crowds were not, and which we even see how well did Peter handle it, right? They still struggled with it. Jesus knew that the, the, the average person just wasn't, wasn't ready to understand what the Messiah had come to do, that he had come to save them from their sin. And so he held off on that message to the average person. But if you'll notice this message, take up your cross, deny yourself, that's faith 101. That's for every single Christian, right? Notice what Jesus says, whoever wants to come after me. Whoever wants to be a disciple of Jesus, you, 
your family, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your neighbors, your coworkers, anybody, anyone that wants to be a disciple, a fellowship, follower of Jesus, this truth is for you. And it's a hard truth, isn't it? You can't have it your own way. You can't water it down. And, and there aren't two paths to heaven, right? Notice what Jesus even says. Notice the way he says it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and follow, take up their cross and follow me. He uses the exact same word that he had used for himself. He must die. And so must you. You know what that means? Do you know what it means to, to take up your cross, to deny yourself? It means to oppose, to challenge, to fight against, right? All of the, the self-ish, self-preservation, self-centered tendencies that just pull and tug at us constantly. All of those things, the, the, the temptations of the world that tug at our hearts, right? Fame, fortune, popularity, approval. All of those things that, that we crave, and that we think will make life easy. Jesus says you got to fight against them. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow him. Or to say it another way, it's our next takeaway. Dying wasn't optional for Jesus and it isn't optional for his followers like me. Now you start to see where the death of me comes in, don't you? Understand what Jesus is saying here. What he's talking about, taking up your cross, denying yourself, it is likely far more difficult and far more painful than you want. It's not easy. It's going to be excruciating at times to, to fight against that temptation that you just want to do because it's just easier and it's just more comfortable and you just want to give in. To fight against that, it's going to be hard. And it's likely almost certain that, that there are, are pieces of us, right? Things that we have indulged in, that we, that we have been unwilling to give up, that our sinful nature is going to hold on with the tightest fist you can imagine and not ever want to let go. And this is going to be painful and difficult, which is why Jesus called it a cross. Because think of what the cross was. It was a, a tool of excruciating torture. Right? The Romans didn't just use like a bullet or a sword and now you're done. They would nail you up or tie you up on this thing and you would suffocate over the course of hours or days. Breath by breath, minute by minute, pain and agony and suffering. And they would draw it out as long as they could until you finally died. And that's what Jesus means. This is, when he says, take up your cross, 
He doesn't mean like find that one sin in your life that's really easy to get rid of and, you know, we'll call it good. He's serious about sin. Every sin, including those that you hold most dearly, including those that you cling to and don't want to let go, including those that you think, I have to or I can't. That's why this is so difficult for so many people because Jesus doesn't make it optional. That's why there's a barrier for so many people to, to follow Jesus. Because it means denying yourself. It means a different focus in this life, in this world, other than just me. So when Jesus tells you to take up the cross, understand what he's talking about. Understand what he means, right? It's denying yourself and struggling against the things of this world. Struggling against the, oh, it's been a long week. I just need a, I just need a day on Sunday. Because that's what self wants, right? Self is it's all about comfort and relaxation and ease. It's, it's all about the, the fighting against the temptation to keep your mouth shut. To just sit down and go along. To join in even when other people are piling on. It's to, to give up this idea that I've been hurt, I've been wronged, and I can hold on to that. I don't need to forgive. It's those things that you know that are, are lurking in your heart that you have said, I just don't want to give that up. I don't want to. And Jesus says, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up that cross. You need to do that if you want to truly follow me. Right? Over the course of this series, we're going to look at a whole series of the things that that pull at our heart, the, the temptations that we long for, that we strive for, that we hold on to in life, those idols that we put up, that we say make life good and make life easy and I want to cling to, and Jesus wants us to deny. But I want you to start thinking already, what is it that you struggle with? As, as we talk here, what is it that that temptation that... I really have a hard time giving up. That temptation for worldly pleasure, the temptation for, for sinful control that you get to live life how you want, whatever it is. We're going to look at a whole series of them, but start thinking now because Jesus is serious. And it's going to be difficult. But it's not optional. Not when it comes to ourselves. Oof. Maybe you're thinking, okay, pastor, I, I understand the what. And it's hard and messy and not easy and painful. But help me understand why. Listen to Jesus as he answers that question. Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Understand what Jesus is saying here. If you want to save your life, right, you want to, to live it up, to live for the moment, to indulge, to live your best life now, right, to maximize the time that you're breathing here, if you want to live that way, go for it. But you'll lose your life for eternity. And if you are willing to lose your life, right? The things that this world calls truly living, truly good. If you're willing to lose those things, the approval of others, if you're willing to give that up and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus, you will save it. You will save it because of the gospel, because of Jesus. See, what Jesus wants us to understand is that when it comes, in a spiritual way, when it comes to death, here's what we need to realize. It's our third takeaway. That when it comes to dying, it's not a matter of if, but where. We know the it's not a matter of if, right? We're all too familiar with that. Death is is a reality in life. Adam and Eve sinned, and what did God say? You will die. And that's been the case ever since. We are finite creatures. Time is limited, right? Death is inevitable. We know it. We've experienced, we have loved ones that have died, some of them very suddenly. We are in the middle of a, a pandemic, right? And why is it such a big deal? Why is it so scary? Because of the potential for death. But understand that Jesus isn't talking about if you're going to die. And he doesn't even say when you're going to die. He says where. Because what Jesus is talking about is eternity. He, he says you can live, you can live it up and live for the short-term pleasures of this world if you want. You can, you can be unwilling to deny yourself. Give in to every, every temptation that's in front of you. Embrace sinful pleasure. Live for the approval of others, the hugs, the smiles, the pats on the back. You'll have all kinds of friends. Life will be really easy and really good. But when you breathe your last, that is the end of the good. There will be no more hugs and no more smiles. The Bible describes hell as weeping and gnashing of teeth apart from God and anything that might be even remotely described as good. If you don't want to die to self here, that's the, the life you choose then for eternity. But if you choose to deny yourself here, if you choose to lose your life here, to to turn aside from sinful pleasures, to, to fight against temptation, to bring your failures to Jesus, to again and again and again struggle to live for him. 
He promises that when you breathe your last after a a life filled with difficulty and pain and, and challenges and hardship, when you breathe your last, you will see God. You will see him face to face. Can you imagine what that's like? To be face to face with the ultimate source of everything that is good. Like we want to live for the, the, the glimpses of pleasure in life. And, and Jesus says, don't, don't give up the, the tiny sinful glimpses when, when what's waiting for you is an eternity of joy that you can't even measure or comprehend. That's the eternity that he wants for you. It's the eternity that he won for you. Because the reality is this, the problem with this is that we can't do this. Not by ourselves, right? We can't die to ourselves. We can't kill ourselves. Not spiritually. We have the same devil that's lurking behind us that was lurking behind Peter, that is constantly, constantly trying to make it about me, about self-preservation and self-fulfillment and self-centeredness and self-indulgence and all of the other self. And it's so easy and so tempting, so sneaky. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from all of our sins, right? To to give his very life to take death from us. To pay for every sin so that we would never know the horrible punishment that our sin rightfully deserved. So that we would we would never see the abandonment of God. He came to pay for every time that you fail to deny yourself. Every time that you put down the cross because it's just too heavy and you just don't want to. Jesus took that to the cross and shed his blood for it. That's the beauty of what Jesus did, right? He came to save you and me, not just from the sins out there, but but from ourselves. To save us from an eternity apart from him and an eternity with him. He changed our eternal destiny by giving his life, his perfect and holy life, in our place so that we would live. Live with him. Right? The the way the Bible describes it, we died with him. Our old self, our sinful self, it died with him. We were buried with him and and he raised us to life with him to live a new life not a life that's that's focused and obsessed with self but a life that knows where life comes from and what life is truly for a life that's lived by the power of god for the glory of god a life that that isn't worried about the things in this world nearly as much as the promises and commands of god Right? It's, Jesus did all of that and he, it, it all led up to that glorious resurrection on Easter. Right? And that's why he said these words in John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives 
and believes in me will never die. Jesus promises you life, not life because you've indulged in this or you've done that cool thing or you've got so many friends or you've you've got the approval of all these people. That's not what Jesus says is life. Life is by faith in him. That's what life is. And life then is lived for him. Which brings us to our last takeaway today. Jesus died for me so that I live for him, or I live with him, excuse me. Because living with him, it means eternity, right? But it also means today. This minute, this hour, this day, making the most of it for God. Because I don't want to live 75 years and and have the, the crowns that fade and tarnish and break those crowns that this world offers that they don't last. No, we, we want the crown that lasts, the eternal crown that Jesus promises, right? And that's why he warns, don't, don't work to gather all the things in life and lose your soul. This is what's most important. This is what Jesus' followers do because you can't be a sort of disciple or a kind of Christian. You can't dabble in Jesus. He is painfully blunt and brutally honest when he says you must deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It might be so difficult that you think it's going to be the death of you. Because of Jesus, there's nothing better. All your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting.